0: Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please visit womenover70.com and consider joining Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Members enjoy monthly programming and probing discussions. We hope to see you virtually on Zoom.
1: And today we're glad to have with us Dr. Susan Mazur, who is an accomplished jazz harpist and has played for 62 years, full-time for 30 years. She's the former president, co-founder, and CEO of Healing Healthcare Systems, producers of the Care, C-A-R-E, channel, the only evidence-based 24-hour relaxation channel for patient television. Now in its 30th year, CARE is being broadcasted in over 1,100 hospitals nationally and internationally, including Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Australia, the Netherlands, Hong Kong, and many other locations. CARE VRX, which was launched in 2019, extends the reach of CARE and provides a healing virtual environment for pain relief, reduction of anxiety, and increased comfort through access to stunning natural spaces and places in the virtual world. Susan has spoken at national and international conferences, recently being a keynote speaker at the 2019 Virtual Reality in Healthcare Conference in Dublin, Ireland. She's also a contributing author of a chapter in the upcoming book, Applied Virtual Reality in Healthcare, Case Studies and Perspectives. So Susan, welcome to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. We're really glad. Thank you so much, Gail. You've been in healthcare for 40 years and a full-time jazz harpist for 30. It's really hard to believe you can do both, <laughs> and yet we know you can. So how have you interwoven music into your career?
2: Well, my career started in music mm-hmm. because I played full-time, Um, I played 12 years in San Francisco and 15 years in Lake Tahoe at Harris. Mm -hmm. And that included some time working on cruise ships and also at the Hyatt and Incline. Um, I had several uh, contracts to do the big acts. I played with Sinatra and and actually Frank Sinatra Jr., Crystal Gale, I mean, I can go down the list, but and Natalie Cole, but now, and Johnny Mathis, actually, he just turned 88. <laughs> and, um so that whole career continued, but my life was, was literally split mm-hmm. uh, when I began working in healthcare and also I had developed... Uh, programs for drug abuse prevention, mm-hmm. uh, using music as a tool to help kids learn how to manage their feelings, which is usually what draws them into substance
0: abuse. How? Mm-hmm. And and <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. I was going uh, to ask how how you gained a, a background or a, in healthcare. What what took you down that road?
2: Oh, it's a story. So about 1980, I had a harp student who's a psychiatric nurse, and um she began working with an organization out of San Jose, California, and called the Center for Health Awareness. And these two women had put together twenty-four hour workshops in order to help nurses take care of their contact hours in one, in one event. So Meg had introduced them to me and they eventually asked me if I could develop a workshop in the use of music as therapy, which I was happy to do, although I didn't even know what that meant. Now I'm going to tell you a background story to that. So in the 1970s and 80s, when the whole New Age movement was at its peak, there were many promises being made about what music could do. You could lose weight to it. You could settle your problems with your parents. You could um, relieve all the stress in your life. I mean, there was this laundry list of possibilities that became warranties by musicians who were making those promises, Mm -hmm. which I didn't believe at that time and I don't accept now. Mm -hmm. So when the question came up about music as therapy, I had to really think about what is that? Mm -hmm. What actually is it? And the conclusion I came to, which I have since written about and is that music changes our sense of time and place. Mm -hmm. So, so because of that, it can be used as an element of environmental design. Mm -hmm. We design our homes, we design events. Parties, celebrations, funerals, churches use it since they have been organized religion. They've had music and services because that helps mm-hmm. their parishioners enter a sacred time separate from the everyday time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I developed this concept, Music as Environmental Design, and I focused on that moment at the end of a performance, or a piece, and I'm sure you've experienced it when the conductor of the symphony orchestra, hands are up, right, right? Yes. and everyone stops breathing <laughs> yeah. until the hands come down. And that moment is when nothing exists but the present.. I mean, and on the other side of that moment, we can start over. We re-enter our lives and often have a different perspective or a sense of relief because we get caught up in this ro- daily roller coaster. We're going around in circles you know up and down and up and down and can't get off and this allows us to just come into the present and that became the focus that actually led even to the care channel hmm. and so you uh,
1: you know you you is it still in use today the care channel you 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 have something what like 1100 locations
2: Yes, we, um, a year and a half ago, um, I plotted to do this. I will tell you, this is a scheme in my mind. How can the care channel outlive my husband and I, Mm -hmm. which it had to do because I have some hospitals that have had the care channel for literally 31 years. So they don't know themselves without it. The nursing staff uses it for their patients. And it was time for us to move on. So I we sold it to three of our employees who've been with me about 10 years. And before we did that, I'd formed a leadership council and appointed them to be on it. So that they were involved in administrative decisions, raising this, our offices up for a new lease. And so they were involved in kind of making that decision so that by the time they bought it, they'd had a lot of experience and also their colleagues got used to them being kind of part of the executive team. Mm-hmm. And so that was a year and a half ago, more than a year and a half ago now. They're doing great. It's totally working, And it's free. Dallas and I, now I can play much more music than I could have. We're doing a lot of traveling. I'm still under contract as an advisor, and I'm still writing blogs, and
0: Doing what I do. But,
2: yeah, Right. But <clears throat> the hot, we did it so seamlessly oh that God. many of the hospitals don't even know there was any change. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That was really terrific.
2: You- yeah. I'm very <laughs> relieved. I, I had nightmares about it. You <laughs> don't set up our trust. It's like, oh my God, what do we do with this company? Yeah. So this was perfect.
1: Hmm. You see, you executed a terrific performance.
2: <laughs> well, so the other part of that question is, how did I move into healthcare? I'm pretty head driven, and from the beginning, I began doing research to find out where the science was, and. Interestingly enough, given the care channel started in 92, in the late 80s, the whole field of health design uh, began being a real discipline and a real career. And that involved architects, interior designers, looking at which design elements would literally help patients heal faster and better. So a seminal study was done in 1984 by Roger Ulrich, who did a study that was in a hospital where the cardiac unit had post-op patients. On one side of the hall, the rooms faced a park. And on the other side, their windows faced another building because a building had been built right next to it. And he looked and measured things like how long the patients were in the hospital, complications, the use of pain medication. I mean, a whole list of because they were the same patients. All of them had had heart surgery. around the same age and what that study revealed was that the patients that faced a natural environment had 50 percent less complications left the hospital a day and a half earlier a whole list that it was obviously that nature access to nature had a profound impact on the body's ability to heal and the patient's mind being able to rest and recover. So that set up, of course, a whole slew of other studies, but I have all these years accessed that science. I've written about it. I have, there have been some changes, but nothing in relationship to nature being the most universally healing aspect of design wow it it really
1: blows my mind because so then so then you got into healthcare i mean this is what you were doing now and and the care channel came
2: about later well i first started teaching Uh Uh, because I developed a workshop and the use of music as environmental design. Mm -hmm. And then finally, a hospital we'd worked with, a psych facility in Georgia, contacted us that they, we'd worked with their staff, and they had a confidentiality issue in their waiting room. As the waiting room, admitting was right off of the waiting room, and they wanted to put music in to try and help, but they didn't want music. So they called us to, can we provide music? Well, Dallas had already thought about that and also thought about creating the channel. Mm-hmm. Because we had already had a commission and recorded a an album for a local hospital and the medical photographer had taken the final recording and put it on the closed circuit tv with his nature pictures but these were stagnant and it was only 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and after that the channel when the album was over it would go to the primary color bars now we remember when there were only 13 channels and when at 11.30 at night, they'd have the Star-Spangled Banner and the TV went to the color bars. Right. Before they had 24-hour television. And so he thought about it, and we didn't like the still photography, and we couldn't stand the fact that it went to the primary color bars because that was really abrasive. To have to look at that in the dark room, for example, at night. Turns. So... We had the idea if we're going to do, if we're going to, they're, they're, okay, so the Bradley Center asked us for music, and this was on a Friday. And by Sunday, we'd figured out the name of the company and also the format. Because remember, we're recording musicians. Though, <laughs> so, hi fi. VCRs, member high side VCRs. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the audio tracks on mm-hmm. high side VCRs are the same quality as CDs. Mm-hmm. So we decided we were going to record to the audio t- for the music. We'd record to the audio tracks. Uh, this VCR and and Toshiba had come out with one that would record, literally record CD quality. And then we had to deal with video because we were going to deliver it on the patient television because that was the technology in every room. Some hospitals had tried having cassettes for patients, but It it was just an impossible, awkward, inconvenient, uncontrollable mess to try and have, patients had cassettes and Walkman and the Walkmans walked and, you know. So, because every room had a television, we could produce a a 24 hour channel. Mm -hmm. And in 1990, the Joint Commission the accreditation of healthcare organizations, JACO, had come up with a regulation that said patients must understand their condition before they leave the hospital. They must know about what happened to them and how to take care. I mean, this whole field of patient education was born and so the whole field of VHS tapes were produced literally specifically for patients who had heart surgery and who were diabetic or had some other issue. And the staff would roll in a VCR to a patient's room before they left mm-hmm. hospital. And they put in this tape. And... um now, if I remember they did that to my dad who had heart surgery. And if you think he remembered one thing, right. it was really not research. There was no research about whether a patient who was in serious recovery from surgery in a healthcare crisis could remember one thing that they saw. But I thought, well, we could take one of those channels, a closed circuit channel. So then it was still VHS, but I contacted some companies and put together an eight bank, eight VCR bank of VHS players with a controller so it could play two hour tape and then go to the next tape. And that's how it was 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And it stayed that way about 1999 when we finally went into digital which got rid of the tapes but the first format was MPEG-1 which was lower quality than VHS but the music seemed to survive and we got no complaints about it now this year we're launching a 4K channel so the technology has changed many many times and the hospitals that have had us all these years, they had to change their technology many times. And we eventually had to build our own video broadcaster and the entire channel, which has a library of 84 non-repeated hours of content is on a hard drive and it plays and plays and plays. And once a year we send a new one out with new revi you know, refreshed and new content. So that, and we learned as we went.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, entrepreneurs as well as harpists, <laughs> as well.
2: Well, and my husband's a musician too, and he became the videographer, producer, and I became the CEO, the accountant, the marketer, the contractor. The- You know,
1: all those hats, right?
2: All those hats. I took business law, contract law, Mm -hmm. so I could manage that. And then finally we hired one person. I think that was 2002. Mm -hmm. They finally hired one person to be an administrative Mm -hmm. assistant to me. And we had to move out of our third bedroom did and that went from two of us to three of us to four of us and by the time i left we had 20 employees <laughs> that's for you that's amazing it's that, a story yeah it is a story and it's
1: worth telling for sure so what how did uh vr virtual reality play into this now so
2: there were several um ways we wanted to provide the care channel. Um, And once we wanted to provide something that the patients could use at home, we created our first app, but it still wasn't really adequate. Mm -hmm. Because the whole, I mean, the internet was unreliable and we couldn't provide enough content and people, you didn't know who was watching on what. So it took us a while, but my staff really wanted to do virtual reality and the production team. We finally had a team. We now have three-person production team. And otherwise, my husband did it for the first 18 years. But they really wanted to do it because they're young guys who wanted to do it. I said, <laughs> hey, do it. So here at the University of Reno, they have a virtual reality lab and the guys went down there and then they rented equipment and did their first virtual reality shoot, which is 360. But the players and the headsets were very expensive and they're still too expensive. And the quality, again, pulled us back into VHS quality because, and with required for high definition, uh, really, uh, I'm going to move because my computer's going to die. Uh, okay, I'm going to stop because I know you can edit this out. Let me go to this other place and plug it in. So there are several things to consider. So the production standards for the care channel were developed really taking into consideration the condition of the patient. For example, at any given time, you can have five generations in the hospital room. Great grandma, grandma, mom, adult parents, children, their children. Mm -hmm, So the music industry separates us demographically. And that means that the, if you listen, if you want to find out where you and your kids are separate, go right to the music preference, because (laughs) the industry has figured out that every generation will have its own, but you have to keep servicing other generations. Well, we were providing one single channel for everyone in the hospital. So nature is universal. More important, it needed to not be abstract. It needed to be identifiable. It needed to not be identified by region. Because, again, that's even in this country. We're separated. By which state do you live in? What part of the states do you live in? And it's true in every other country. So, musically, we wanted to provide music that would have transcend issues of preference, age, ethnicity, religion, culture. So, we... Decided it had to be instrumental, no language, and also should be unfamiliar, but feel familiar.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
2: all honored. So we went right to the composer artists and looked for music that had enough complexity to draw someone in but not be intellectually demanding, right? If it was too simple, it'd become boring and the patient would disengage. If it was too complex, it was too much work. So we had to find that sweet spot, which we have found. We have now 50 artist composers that we license music from. And I think that all of those standards had to apply to virtual reality, too. So the video, no human artifacts. We adopted the philosophy that Ansel Adams had spoken so brilliantly about when asked, so where's the person in the picture? Because if you look at this picture, is there any people in it? And right. if answer was, the viewer is the person in the picture. So when you watch the care channel, it's like you're at the park, and when you're at even when you're at the Grand Canyon, you'll be surrounded by people, but that's not what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we developed it, and all of those standards were transferred to virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have made some adjustments um, because Uh, For instance, if you're in one scene, we didn't want someone getting, it's called cyber sickness, that if you watch some uh, virtual reality apps, they'll make you a little seasick. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it's like you're standing there, not moving. However, you had to have the ability to go to a different point of view. So our software, Brilliant Genius, made a way that you could click and go across the river to see from the other side. And if they wanted you to follow a path, it would, again, be very slow so that you could move in it but not, not lose your balance. Um, also, the audio changes according to which way you turn your head. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a, it's so virtual reality creates an immersive experience that at some point can become, that you really feel you're there. Mm-hmm. A sense of presence. And this sense of presence occurs when there is no no when the the medium, the headset, even the concept of VR evaporates, and you're just in a park. nah.
0: Susan, is there a way for um, our our audience to listen to to access any of the, this, or to listen to recordings of your uh, playing the jazz harp? Or yeah, how, how can they enjoy what you have to offer? Relax with care. Hmm. And you
2: can find it on Apple TV, Roku. I mean, you can add the app to your to what you watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's free for 30 days, and then it's $7.99 a month. Mm-hmm. And we have lots of content, including guided imagery. Uh, there's one file that's 10 hours. You can leave it on all night. By the way, the nighttime programming is a midnight star field, so you can leave it on all night. Mm. I can't wait. Especially seniors sleep so lightly that it does. it's used probably more than any other part of the care channel. It's a nighttime program. Wow. And you can, you, know, you can get it on every device: the television, the computer, your phone, everything. <laughs> well, we
1: have about five minutes or so left, and uh, when we when we spoke, you talked about the large transitions we all go through in our lives, and um, and so you know, what has that meant to you personally?
2: Well, I'm in one. <laughs> I'm definitely in one now. I was in one when I when I met my husband and went from being a soloist to working with him. I was in one when I went from playing full-time to wanting to teach nurses <laughs> and record. And then, of course, when we started our company. And all of those are complete, life changes because what you do every day really determines the social traffic in your life. Explain more about that. Well, for anyone who's worked a lot, you've had people you've known for years at work. Mm -hmm. And as people retire, you think you're going to stay in touch with them. But it often doesn't happen that way because priorities change. Right. You have neighbors you've known for 20 years who move Mm -hmm. and you, if the relationship is based on location, which you think it's not, then you may not see those people again. Mm -hmm. Those are big, big transitions. Mm -hmm. And as we get older, and adult kids decide they should parent their parents. Oh, come move near me. I can better take care of you. But you know what? I have a friend whose mother has lived in Southern California for almost 60 years. And she just moved to Reno to be closer to her daughter. She's totally traumatized by that. She doesn't have friends around her. She doesn't know the postman. She doesn't know the supermarket. I mean, Mm -hmm. so only our generation, really, the first generation with that has become really normal that people move all the time because my parents never did it. Mm -hmm. Your parents never did it. They kind of had jobs, the same job for 30 years, and they stayed in the same house. Maybe they moved one time. So we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know what's normal. We think we should be happy and we're miserable because we haven't really taken on and understood the meaning of those kinds of changes. So for me, because my husband and I have worked together since the day we met, we've done all these things for the last 40 years together. And he has been more agile than I've been. So that means that some days I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. And other days, like today I'm busy. And even this podcast has brought me back into who I am, but I don't have these kind of conversations every day. So I have some concern that all this knowledge and experience will die with me. But I'm too stubborn to let that happen. So those are the transitions I'm talking about. Right. Well stated. And the the
1: um as we increase in age, we all experience these kinds of transitions on so many levels.
2: I mean, I was young most of my life. <laughs> Most of my life I was I was the youngest. I had my master's degree, first one at twenty-two. I was young forever till recently, you know, but <laughs> I and I still feel so engaged mm-hmm. so vital that I don't really identify with being a senior senior. Mm-hmm. When retirement is kind of unengaged. And because we don't have kids, that's a whole other element of some friends of mine who have kids become much more involved with their kids, but for us, we become involved in their kids, still we're very independent. Mm -hmm. So I think those questions of how do you age when you don't have children? How do you age when you have children and you don't want them to parent you? (laughs) How do you maintain your independence as your physiology changes? And every time something happens, somebody decides you're incompetent. I think at how we look at Joe Biden, this man is still so brilliant and so engaged. And so what if he trips? We all trip but they make a very big deal out of it.
1: It's and, a, yeah, everything you say is right on. And we, we so appreciate the time that you've given to us and your, your reflection on all of this.
0: Yeah, thank so you. thank you, Susan. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for your loyalty. Because of you, our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas. And this is a good thing, but still we need more subscribers and reviews on Apple Play and YouTube. So please support Women Over 70 and let your voice be heard. Help us change the conversation about women aging.